Provides a, a, a guess you got from my friend that the one is okay. She's at the frail care in Waterfall Gardens and she is on all sorts of meds and we're waiting hard for doctors and whatever to check up on her and at some point she's hoping to go back into her home but she will most definitely need a carer for that but we'll see what the future holds for Dawn. Um, it hasn't been a nice couple of weeks for her so just keep her in your prayers. Um, yeah, any other family news from anyone here this morning? Everyone else doing good? Outstanding. Um, in the early 1990s, a seismic shift took place in church music. So I was going to bring my books this morning, but it's too much to bring. So if some of you, like, like Liz and Graham, will remember the 1950s, when church music was hymns of faith, right? <laughs> and then, um, uh, I don't know, maybe Dan would remember these days, the 1970s and into the early 80s, it was songs of fellowship. I don't know what it was like in Canada, but here it was the brown book, and then the blue book, and then you were really cool, the yellow book. <laughs> and I'm sure this will remember this, but the brown book, everything in the brown book was either in A flat or E flat. That was all you had. Those were the options. <laughs> and, then, and then things changed in the 1980s, and then we moved on to Hosanna Integrity music. Um, some of you may remember the Hosanna Integrity music guys, Ron Kenobi and those guys. Uh, but the thing is, in order to do Hosanna Integrity music in your church, you needed a current. It was brass band, big band stuff from America. And then in the 1990s, about 92, 93, something happened, and it came from Australia, of all places. A lady by, I mean, who, who would have found her, right? Australians doing music without the teacher review. <laughs> a lady called Darlene, which is just a great Australian name, uh, with far too many Zs in her unpronounceable surname, released a song called Shout to the Lord. You may remember that one. Uh, and that changed church music. And the rest of Hillsong is history. And for the last 25 years, Hillsong has kind of remained at the top of the pile when it comes to church music. And they've released some great songs over the years. They've also put out some stinkers, but that's, that's another story. Five or six years ago, though, they put out a, another huge hit, almost as big as Shout to the Lord. It's called Oceans. And we sang it in our church a couple of times. It's, uh, you already recognize it, I'm sure it's a haunting synth keyboard ooh kind of song. Uh, and it goes like this You call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail. I will keep my eyes above the waves where oceans rise. I will rest in your embrace. Um, let me walk on the waters wherever you call me. Take, it, take me deeper where feet could never wander in. There's one particularly fantastic version of that song on YouTube, and when you get home, just Google Ocean's Drum Solo. So this church does oceans, but their drummer doesn't pitch up. But there's a new guy in church who's been there for two weeks and hey, you can drum. So the ladies up front with their keyboard singing the song and doing a kind of average job with it, like to be honest, you know. Um, it's just fine. And, but this song builds to a crescendo. And Mr. Drummer, he's in there, he's looking like Kevin just, you know, <laughs> as the song moves, he just 
and he, turned, he just goes wrong. He turns into this full-on two-minute rock drum solo, get over the snare drum, set fire to the bass player, and this poor lady of the It's just, it's unknown, it's hilarious or awful. It's, it's kind of a, it's, I'm just going with it, okay? Now, Hillsong and Dunstan, as I said, some great songs, and I've got to admit, this one isn't one of them. It's not bad, it's not a bad song, but it could be better. And it's really just because of where the emphasis on the song lies. See, the song is inspired by the story we're going to read this morning. And the story we're going to read is the story of Peter walking on water. And the problem with the story of Peter walking on water is that it's not actually about Peter walking on the water. And yet that's what the song's about. It's about you walking on water. And, and so it, it becomes this whole other thing of what you can do and what you should do for Jesus by faith. And while it's true that we have to walk by faith and live by faith in Jesus, I think we're going to find this morning that the emphasis in the story is not really on what you should be doing. It's not really about what you walking on water. It's actually... The emphasis is on what Jesus does. And that's where we need to be looking at in the story. What Jesus does and not what you can do. I think one of the dangers of our modern 21st century church culture is that we so easily get wrapped up in our modern 21st century night culture. You can do it. Just do it. Reach for the stars. You can walk on water. Mind over matter. And so that kind of thinking ends up in the church, and we just add to it faith. And now you can do whatever you want in faith. And so what tends to happen with the story is if you just have a little bit of faith, you can stride out confidently into the great unknown, into your new business venture, your new relationship goals, whatever it is, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, walk and stride with confidence to the other side of the ocean. And none of that is the point the story. Yes, walk on water. Up to change that. Yes, live by faith. It's not about walking on water. So let's read the story and see what we get to this morning. So Matthew chapter 14 from verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of it to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are 
the Son of God. About three or four weeks ago, a fascinating series of photos appeared on Instagram. But I need to back up a little bit about a year and a half ago before we get to the photos. A year ago, Kanye West started something called Sunday Sessions in his back garden. It was basically church for celebrities. We got a bear, a choir together, sang some gospel songs, church for celebrities. Now, initially I was dubious and uh, you know, a bit of eye roll, but it would appear that it's quite possible that Kanye actually has had a true conversion experience. Kanye may have come to faith in Jesus, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. Now, some of you of a certain age may be wondering, who is Kanye West? So let me tell you a little bit about him. Kanye West is a rapper and hip-hop artist. That's why Graham, you may not have heard of him. Um, I know it's probably not your kind of music. You, you may not have heard of Kanye West, but you've probably heard of Kim Kardashian. And Kim Kardashian is Kanye's wife. They've got three kids, I think it's three kids. North, West, which is an interesting name. Um, Blue Ivy, which, that's an interesting one too. And then Saint, Saint West. Um, last year, Kanye decided to legally change his name. I don't know if he actually followed through with it, but his intention was to legally change his name. His new name is Christian Genius Billionaire Kanye West. So just to say, that's not his title, that's, that's his name printed on his passport. Christian Genius Billionaire. Um, to add to the fact that this year he announced that he's running for President of the United States of America. Uh, he's still not registered various, in various places, but he insists that, uh, recently insists that you can just write his name on the ballot and vote for him as President. And to be honest, based on the way you saw this in his defense, he did release a really good album this year called Jesus is King. It's worth listening to. Go check it out on Spotify. It's great. But being a celebrity and being a big name celebrity, a billionaire celebrity, he gets to connect with other celebrities. Three weeks ago, for his Sunday sessions, he invited Joel Osteen to come and do the service. And uh, well, you already know it's going to go pear shaped on the photo. So the photos then appear to come. You can, well, let me just. Uh, there's another one in a moment. You might need to just swing the camera so people can see what's up on the screen there. Uh, so it's a little bit difficult to see because uh, obviously it was the paparazzi from a long way away who took these photos. Um, but what you've got is, is, is. It, at one stage, one of the photos is it's a whole bunch of people in a, in a row like, like, like ducks. Joel uh, uh, in the front, followed by Christian Genius Billionaire, followed by Kim, followed by North, and then Blue Ivy, and a couple of others behind, all in white robes, all walking across the lake. So they are, they're very clear that they're not actually walking on water. But what Kanye did is that he built a submerged walkway across his lake so that you could walk across and feel as though you were doing a pier thing. It's about as cheesy as a pink cheese pizza. It's just whatever. I think there's another picture there coming. Skip the slide. To be honest, I'm just going slide. There you go. There's, there's Kanye with his two kids walking on water. Whatever. Anyway, that's it. We can now switch that thing off. We don't need it anyway. Um, of course, Kanye's not the only one who 
is who's done that kind of thing. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a self-proclaimed apostle, apostle, prophet, whatever, in some West African country, Nigeria, Ghana, one of those places, who got his church to come down to the beach with him because he is going to walk on water. And a thousand people gathered on the beach as he strode confidently into the ocean waves, ankle level, knee level, waist level. <laughs> some say he crossed the Atlantic and arrived in America. Most say he drowned working by sharks. Um, when it comes to this story, most sermons and most articles that I've read this week, most sermons that I've listened to over the years, most applications of this story focus on what Peter did. And the big deal is that if you just have a little bit more faith than Peter, you too can walk on water. And so you need to step out in faith into your new business venture. You need to take a risk because if you can keep your eyes on Jesus, you can cross the Atlantic. You can get to the other shore. But like I said earlier, I'm not sure that that's the main point of the story. Kevin, if you read a John Grisham novel, the exciting bits are in the middle. But the conclusion of the whole story where it all resolves itself in John Grisham's book, is going to be the last couple of pages. And it's kind of the same with the story here, right? That the exciting bits happen in the middle, but, but the story resolves itself in those last couple of lines. And, and the story ends with this. They worshipped him and said, you are the son of God. And I think that's the main point of the story. That's where we need to get to this morning. That this is not going to be about you getting out of the boat in faith and you know, charging off to the other side. But it's rather that you see Jesus. You recognize what he has done and you worship him. So that's where we're going today. Three times in the story we encounter a word immediately. And so we're going to use those three words to kind of, have, kind of give us the structure of how the story unfolds itself. So the first immediately is the very first word we read there. Um, the 5,000 have been fed. The disciples are still busy wiping the crumbs from their lips and returning the last little bit of fish. And Jesus immediately says, get in the boat. And it's, it's strong language. It's a, it's a very strong command from Jesus. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, guys, if you wouldn't mind, I know you're tired. Why don't you go? It's, it's, it's a command. Get in the boat. He forces it. It's like mom telling you, get in the car or you will feel the back of my hand. Okay? It's that kind of, get in the boat. Don't argue with me. Now, Matthew doesn't really tell us why. And to be honest, I think Jesus could have used some help. In dismissing this crowd. If you've ever been to a mega church, they have guys in the car park with their reflective jackets and a big foam finger to point which way to go or the exit. Jesus kind of needs that. There's a huge crowd, and you know, you kind of expect the disciples to be standing there and you know, directing the crowds. I don't but Jesus gets them at the boat. Well, Matthew doesn't tell us why, John tells the same story, and John gives us a little bit of clue. John says that the crowd want to make Jesus king by force. 
See, here's the crowd going, we've just had a free meal. And this is so cool. I, I, I like eating for free. So why don't we make Jesus king? And then we can do free tomorrow as well. And we'll be free the next day after that. And the day after that. And so the crowd comes to Jesus and says, we want you to be our king. And in fact, here's the crowd. And you know, there's enough of us that we can go and storm Herod's palace, kick Herod out, and you can be king in Herod's place. It'll be awesome. And you can feed us every day. Jesus knows that, he's, that he is king. He's going to rule very soon. But his, his kingdom and his kingship is not going to come. His crown is not going to come through popular votes and a revolt. It's going to come via Gethsemane. Now, the thing is, the disciples are real fragile. And I imagine that the disciples are going, What a great idea! Yes! Let's make Jesus king. And so Jesus, to kind of spare the disciples from the chaos of what's going on, tells them, get in the boat, go to the other side. And Jesus goes up the mountain. And again, John kind of tells us that Jesus fled to the mountain. It's, kind of, it's that kind of extreme again, to get away from the crowds. The crowds are given Jesus now finally finds the solitude and the silence that he was looking for. You remember that's how the, the story started last week with Jesus and the disciples wanting silence and solitude. Herod had killed John the Baptist six months earlier, and now Herod is scary. There's another guy wandering around the desert saying exactly the same things that John the Baptist had said. And Herod's going, I thought I killed that guy, and now he's back. He's asking his, his stepdaughter, you know, and he's still got the head um, because he's back. And so Herod wants to kill Jesus. And so Jesus, hearing that Jesus withdraws, leads the crowd, can't find silence. Now he finally finds his silence, his moment, and he steps aside to pray in solitude. And just as an aside in our sermon this morning, perhaps we should learn to do the same more often, to step aside out of the chaos of madness and pray. I don't know how much of a prayer you are. But here's Jesus spending the night in prayer. Now, that makes me feel a little guilty. Uh, I, I often feel guilty that I don't get up at half past four in the morning and go through to somewhere really cold onto a hard wooden floor and kneel down and pray for three hours. I'm afraid I don't do that. But I drew great comfort two weeks ago reading that Charles Spurgeon didn't do that either. Charles Spurgeon said, I can't concentrate for that long. And so he said, I'd rather pray for five or ten minutes throughout the day. And I'm like, okay, cool, I can do that. Can you please do that? So as an aside, we need to be a people of prayer. If Jesus is praying, then we should be praying too. So here it is. We've got Jesus on the mountain praying. And we've got the disciples who have obeyed Jesus on a boat in the middle of the lake. And they've been trying all night to get to the other side. And to be honest, they should have got there by now. It's not that far. They should have got to the other side. But the wind and the waves are against them. And apparently the word that's used is the same word we came across last week. They're being harassed by the wind. I don't know if you've ever been harassed by the wind. Apparently in Cape Town they were harassed by the wind as we tried to blow them over and whatever else. 
So here's the disciples, sleepless night, going nowhere, in the middle of the lake, making no progress whatsoever. And here's the first big moment in the story. Jesus went out to them. Jesus comes to them. In the fourth watch of the night, sometimes between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. And that's our first big takeaway this morning. That when you're in the boat doing just what Jesus told you to do, and you find yourself in the lake with the waves against you, being harassed, and, and what happens then? Right? You've been in those moments, I know you have, where life is topsy turvy and chaos erupts around you, and you're just doing what Jesus tells you to do. You need to know this that in ancient Israel, the, the sea represented chaos. The sea was all about fear and monsters. The sea was not the place that you went to for a little dip and a bit of body surfing. The, the, the sea was a place of fear and chaos and pain, and you avoided it, you stayed away from it. So here we are, right? I'm talking about this boat, you're in chaos and pain, you're being harassed, and what do you do? Well, you just keep rowing, right? Michael, row your boat ashore, just keep going. But as much as you row, you'll be in those moments where you're doing all you can and the shore doesn't seem to get any nearer. You've been in those moments? And here's the great moment in the story, right? That's where the disciples are, and Jesus comes to them. In the, in the chaos, in the mayhem, and the harassment, Jesus comes to us. In the chaos of our sin, Jesus comes to us. Now, maybe it would have been better if Jesus had come to them during the first watch of the night. Right? If he arrived at 8 o'clock at night and not at 4 o'clock the next morning. Why am I waiting so long? Perhaps it would have been even better if Jesus had put the guys in the boat and if there had been no wind and no waves and they'd simply cruised straight across the lake. That's the kind of life that we want. But if we're honest, we know that's not the kind of life we get. It's, it never works out like that. And here they are, the fourth watch of the night, and Jesus comes to them. And you've got to love how the disciples respond to that, right? Oh good, Jesus is here! No, they're terrified, and I understand their fear, because they're awake, and this, this apparition appears where no one should be. I mean, he's, who are, no one stands in the way. It's got to be, it must be a ghost. That's the only appropriate response, right? No wonder they're afraid. They've been away for 20 hours with no coffee. And they're terrified. They're exhausted. They're stressed out. And now this figure appears in front of them. Just like you and I, there's those moments when we're afraid. We don't know what happens next. And so you get to the second immediately in the story. In the midst of the fear and the exhaustion and whatever else, Jesus says to them, <coughs> in fact, Jesus immediately says to them, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. Jesus is not going to wait for them to stew in their fears. They've waited long enough. It's the fourth watch of the night. They don't need to wait any longer. And they were afraid. And immediately Jesus says, Do not be afraid. It's been chaos for many of us over these last few months, right? The world has gone upside down. Business is all over the place. Um, here we are, hiding behind masks this morning. We're in a space of mayhem. And I know that a lot of you are fighting the wind and the waves, and the shore seems to be receding into the distance and getting further and further away. And you're wondering, is Jesus ever going to come? And here, he arrives later than the disciples want, but in the midst of their fears, he makes this announcement, do not be afraid. And I want to say those same words to you this morning, do not be afraid. Jesus has come. He comes to us and brings calm in the storm. And of course, at this point in the story, the wind and the waves are still blowing and dashing, but Jesus' presence is enough. And so then we get to this big point of the story, right? Where, where Peter wants to get out the boat. Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And like I've said, for many preachers, the, the, the big takeaway then becomes be brave like Peter. Get out of the boat of your own comfort, step into your new venture, and you can do better than Peter, because you can have more faith than him, and as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll get to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. You'll walk your way ashore. And so the whole story then revolves around this idea of stepping out in faith. And when you do that, you better sing the song, Oceans. Just to give you a little bit of a hint to keep you going. To some extent, I mean, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. I'm not going to say that everyone who said that got it wrong. I, I just think it's a better way of seeing this. I mean, I've even got a book at home titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And it's actually a cool book. It's all about taking risks for Jesus uh, and stepping out into the great unknown. Uh, and I, I think it's a great thing. I just don't think that that's what's going on here. So, so here's the thing. If you've got a new venture on your horizon, then I would say to you, and you're wondering, should you do it or not? I would say to you, engage your brain, use your brain, figure out is this a good thing or a bad thing. Talk to some friends, talk to the other people in the boat. Hey guys, do you think this is a good thing? Should I get out of the boat? Right? Talk to some friends around you, pray and talk to Jesus and see what he thinks about this idea. And by all means, take a risk. Go walk in faith. Just don't tell me that this is the story that inspires you to cash in your pension and invest it in a book on that. And if you're going to walk <laughs> on a built-on bridge to the other side and see your investment triple, because it's not what the story's about, right? So take risks for Jesus, walk by faith, but this story is not about us stepping out of the boat and into our adventure, wherever that might be. And I think, I think it's kind of obvious why it isn't. Uh, first of all, what is it that Peter wants to do? Where does Peter want to go? He wants to come Jesus. Peter's not saying, Lord, let me 
have the boat, these guys here, they're all seasick and it's just nasty here right now. I need to get away, right? Peter's not saying, Lord, let me out of the boat because I want to walk to the shore because this boat's taking too long to get there. Peter's not saying, Lord, let me out of the boat and I'll walk away, I'll walk behind you all the way to the shore and you allow me to do the breaking bread thing again because you did miracles in my hands, right? Peter's not doing all of any of those things. Peter is not saying, let me step out of the boat into some new venture of faith. He's not doing that at all. Where does Peter want to go? Peter wants to go to Jesus. Lord, let me come to you. So this is not Peter stepping into a new venture. This is Peter coming to Jesus. And what's kind of ironic in the story is that Jesus is coming to Peter. Jesus is already coming to the disciples. And Peter stands up in the boat and says, wait, stop, wait right there, Lord. Wait, I'll come to you. Now, if that's the desire of your heart, it's a great desire to have. The desire of longing to come to Jesus is something that should be in all of our hearts. But all means pursue that. Come to Jesus. And I'm, I'm having to get a little bit allegorical here and then say, absolutely, step out of your boat of self-righteousness. Step out of your boat of self self-sufficiency or self-confidence and good works and, and nice religion. Than we care to admit. 
You may be all about faith in Jesus and eyes on Him, but if we're honest, I think my gaze slips ten times a day, ten times an hour. Like Peter, I think we spend more time sinking than walking. And so when you see those sorts of things, do you see how then the emphasis of the story begins to change? And that it isn't really about walking in faith and stepping out into whatever new goals and whatever it is, but that it's actually about Jesus comes to us, our desire to come to Him, and yet never quite making it on our own. And Peter begins to sing and utters some of the smartest words that ever come from his mouth. And it sounds very cool in Greek. Kurio sozo me. If I was able to get a tattoo, I think those would be the words right there in Greek. would be cool. Lord, save me. And it's a prayer that we pray, not just the very first time we come to faith in Jesus, but I think it's a prayer that we should be praying ten times a day. Every time our days slips, every time we see the wind, every time the fear mounts, every time our ADHD kicks in and our stubborn hearts fall in love with other things again, Lord, save me. Let those words be on your lips. So yes, let the desire of your heart be, Lord, I want to come to you. And match that desire with these words on your lips, Lord, save me. And so here's the thing in the story, right? Jesus comes to us, we want to come to him, we can't, we sink, we pray. And so we get to the third, immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus reaches out and grabs Peter. Peter is sinking, and that's it. It's all over. He's going down to the bottom of the Lake of Galilee, and Jesus reaches out and grabs Peter by the scruff of the neck, and Jesus saves him. It's a wonderful response to Peter's prayer. Jesus doesn't go, well, Peter, I'm not really sure if you really want to be saved. He doesn't say, I tell you what, Peter, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold up my hand halfway, you reach the other way, and let's see what you need in the middle. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you know what? Your faith is a bit weak at the moment. I'm gonna wait until your faith kicks in, and then I'll reach out. He doesn't do any of that, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've got a I've got a life preserver in here. Here you go, Peter, hang on to that, I'll tow you to shore. Jesus reaches out and catches him. In fact, the ESV says, he took hold of Peter. I love that. It's what Jesus does. He catches us. He takes hold of us, despite our weak faith, despite our doubts. Jesus says, get your faith into me. But Jesus says it anyway. And they get into the boat, and the wind and the waves calm down. And the response of the disciples? They worship him. What's interesting is that they didn't worship him when 5,000 people would be there. 
But a thousand people have been, their tummies are full, and they go, oh, this is nice. We just like being with Jesus because he feeds us. It's so cool. But they worship him when they're confronted with his fears. What is it that prompted this worship? What is it that got them to go, wow, this is amazing? Is it the fact that Peter walked on water for a little bit? Is it even the fact that Jesus walked on water? It seems to me that what prompts them to worship is when Jesus gets in the boat with them and the storm around them calms down. It's at that point that point they worship him because they recognize who he is. Truly, you are the Son of God. Not a prophet or a healer or a cheap food dispenser. You are the Son of God, the Savior, Lord, and King. It goes to what we said right at the beginning this morning, aligning our head and our heart in worship. The disciples have gone, ah, we know who he is. There is true knowledge of who Jesus is. And that is aligned with their heart values. Worship for who he is. This story does not lead us to wonder about where we need to step out in faith. The story leads us to wonder at all as we see the one who has saved us, as we see for ourselves the one who has come to us in our distress, who has met us in the midst of our chaos. While we're still sinners lost in our sin, making no headway to get to the other side of the shore, He takes hold of us. He who has come to us when we can't come to Him. He who has caught us when we're going under. And so the story leads us to see our Savior and to see what He has done. How He has caught us and taken hold of us. And so to reverse the great World War II thing of, no, not World War II, our mind. Because John F. Kennedy, I think he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But if you reverse that and say, oh, it's, it's not about ask what Jesus can do for you, what I, what I can do for Jesus. No, it's not about what I can do for Jesus. It's about what he has done for me. He has caught us. He has taken hold of us. And this prompts us not to be inspired to be like Jesus and go walk in water, it has inspired us to fall at his feet in worship. For he has saved me. He has heard my cry. Curio sozo me. So I'm not asking you to step out of the boat and walk in faith this morning. When I go over to my house, to our swimming pool, I have not installed a baby something walkway for us to go and practice on today because that's not what Matthew's on about here. What I'm asking you to do is in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your sin, to see that Jesus has come to you. That Jesus has taken hold of you. And that he calms the storm and takes away your fears. And that he will deliver you safely to the other side. I didn't read that, but verse 34. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Jesus delivers them to the other side. So yes, Keep your eyes on Him. Walk by faith in Jesus. Live by faith in Him. But let's keep saying, Lord, save me. And bow down in worship before the Son of God who comes to us. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, we thank you for you to come to us. 
in the midst of our chaos, in our storms that we face, in the moments when we're afraid, when we see the waves and the wind and the chaos of that each in our lives around us, when we're in doubt about work and finance and income, when we're wondering about the next step we should take, when we see that the chaos of our relationships that are fallen apart because of our own sin, or perhaps because of someone else's sin. When we see the impact of sin on our own selfish, self-centered hearts. When we see all of these things and we, we get into despair because it seems as though the shore is nowhere near and we're lost at sea. And to know, Lord, that you come to us. That you come to us in our fears, in our sorrows, in our trauma and our wrong. And you come to us. Lord, awaken in us, we pray, a desire for us to come to you. Lord, that we, we may long to be in your presence, that we may long to be with you. How often we, we choose to go alone. May we long to be with you. Lord, recognizing our presence. That unless you take hold of us, unless you rescue us, we will sin. So, Lord, save us. Lord, in these moments, as we reflect on the number of times that you have taken hold of us, and as we reflect on this, that you have not let us go, may it well up within us this morning a deep longing to worship you. May our hearts value you as we recognize who you truly are. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, Lord, and King. We worship you this morning. Amen. 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 We shall see you all next week.